This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, if you have this place in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I want to remind you what we're studying right now. We're in a brand new sermon series. The name of the series is Life Path. And Life Path deals with the changing seasons of our life. When we started this series, we began with a foundation message that brought to the forefront the times we notice where things are not the same in our life. When things seem to change and sometimes abruptly change. And there are various seasons in our life that come upon us by surprise or quickly. Sometimes it seems like it happens overnight, but we all experience change. Most of us do not like change. We don't think about change. We don't want to dwell on change. We don't think about it uh, like it's something that we welcome. And it's certainly devastating at times. When we left that first message dealing with the foundation of change, we talked about the season of temptation that comes into our life. And if you remember from that sermon and even from the book of James in our study, temptation all by itself is not the sin. Jesus was tempted at all points yet without sin. But it's when we yield to that where it becomes sin. So here's the thing that I want you to understand. There are seasons in our life where we are affected by temptation. And temptation, when we yield to it, brings severe consequences into our life. And not only into our own personal life, but into the lives of others as well. When we left the seasonal change of temptation, we talked about the season of failure in our life. All of us have experienced failure to some degree. We talked about how to respond to that, what the word of God says about the failing seasons in our life, the crop failures. Last Sunday, we began this particular message and it deals with the season of depression. Depression is something that affects all of us. This particular message is going to be probably a three-part sermon. Today, I'm preaching sermon number two, part two of the message that we began last Sunday, dealing with the season of depression. And it's my desire today that I can take the word of God and help you with different passages of scripture to shine the light on this subject. This is something that a lot of people experience, but very few want to admit. I promise you, depression affects us all. I took some time last Sunday to give you some personal experiences in my life where even I found my own self crippled with it. And I'm going to help you today to recognize some signs of it, talk about it a little bit, and see what the Bible says from the Word of God about this perspective. And I pray that it will be a blessing to you. 
The scripture that I'm going to give you this morning as the cornerstone of the message is the same scripture that I gave you last week out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 15. What I'm not going to do today is to give you all the background of this passage. The background of this particular passage, you can read chapter 18 and 19 and it can catch you up to date and you can really understand what is happening here. The bottom line is Israel was a divided kingdom. Ahab was the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. It came down to a place where they became a league together. They became friends together for a season of battle. Ahab was killed. Jehoshaphat remained alive. Jehoshaphat was a godly man. Ahab was a wicked man. And because Jehoshaphat had yoked up with Ahab, it had brought scrutiny, it had brought division, it had brought confusion and and conflict. In the course of that, and I just don't have time to go all through that again, but I will tell you, in the end, towards the end of this episode, Jehoshaphat got very depressed over decisions he had made and decisions where he had made that were affiliate with King Ahab. He was confronted about those decisions. He felt himself again in a place of battle where there was an aggressing army coming against him. And it it was at this particular place that Jehoshaphat got extremely depressed. Maybe you know somebody right now that's going through depression. You, You know that you've talked to them, you've tried to help them. Maybe you yourself are going through it right now. Let me tell you this, there's hope in God's word. There's a perspective in God's word. There's a bomb in Gilead. There's a sympathizing savior. There's a healer in the house, amen. And so I want you to think about these things today. I'm going to read the cornerstone for you in this message today. It's part two, dealing with the season of depression. And so if you would look at this passage of scripture with me, the Bible says in verse 15, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 15, the scripture is on the screen for you. And either read along with us, follow along with us. The word says, and he said, Jehazel, now he's talking to Jehoshaphat about his depression and the aggression of this uh, uh, animosity, this army that's coming against him. And he says this, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid. And let me reemphasize, God has not given us the spirit of fear. As born again believers, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Jehazel said, you look around, you're certainly outnumbered, but you're not outpowered. There is a God greater than the enemy that you face. And he said this, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. And I want everyone to look at this passage 
this word as we conclude this verse. It says, for the battle is not yours, but God. Somebody say amen. The battle is God's. And I want to reemphasize something. Jesus said this in John 15, 5. He said, without me, ye can do nothing. And the apostle Paul said it this way, but I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So we're absolutely nothing on our own. And when it comes down to these particular topics that we're talking about, we are nothing on our own. Somebody I was talking to not too long ago about trusting the Lord as their Savior, giving their heart to Christ. And I've been told this many times. This is what they said to me. I do not want to trust Christ as my Savior because I know I cannot live it. I cannot live that life. And my response to them was, you're absolutely right. You cannot live the life that pleases God by yourself. You cannot do it. But I will tell you, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with God in you, greater is he that is in me. Listen, you cannot do it by yourself, but you can do it with the Spirit and the power of God. So when you think about this now, the battle is God's. I hope and pray that what we talk about today will be a blessing to you in such a way that you can help somebody or that this message will help you personally. I want you to know that the devil moves in mysterious ways. You've heard the old saying, God works in mysterious ways. Well, I want to remind you that Satan does as well. He moves in different ways to come against us. The Bible says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible calls him a thief. He's a murderer. He's a liar. But this is what Satan does many times because one of the goals that he has is to come against our mind. If the devil can get just a crack of light into your mind, he will eventually work his way into your heart. And we're going to talk about in just a few minutes how dangerous that is. Here's what Satan does. He looks for the vulnerabilities in your life. You know where your weak points are. You know where your blind spots are. You know where you're weaker in flesh and in spirit, you know all about those things. But let me remind you of something. Satan knows those as well. Now, he's not omniscient. The devil is not omniscient. Only God is omniscient. What does omniscient mean? It means all-knowing. You see, the devil doesn't know more than God. The devil doesn't know as much as God, but the devil knows more than you and I do. He knows where our weakness is. And let me tell you, he weaves his way in and out of our life trying to search for those vulnerabilities, those weak spots, those blind spots. Satan has a way of weaving into people's lives, even as small children, when, when those vulnerabilities exist. Satan has a way to weave himself in and out of our lives in maturity. But he looks for ways to get inside of our mind. You have to keep that fresh on your heart today. Now, how do you recognize depression? 
Let me give you a couple of things to think about because I believe that I'm speaking to a multitude of people today that are affected by it or you know somebody that is and even here in the house of God this morning. And there are several things that I could give you. I want to be quick with this. Let me just give you the first four on my list this morning. How do you recognize depression? Number one, and maybe you yourself can identify with this. When you lose the desire to do the things that you've always enjoyed doing. Think about that. Number two, when you become withdrawn, when you become isolated, you you don't want to talk to anybody. You want to pull the shades of your life and just hibernate by yourself. Number three, listen carefully because I deal with people who are affected by this particular point more so than the others. And that is when you get to a place where you feel that there is no hope. When you feel that there is no hope. And number four, when you find yourself constantly crying. Now, that's not, these are not the only signs and symptoms of it, but these are the four that I want to address with you today because different things cause it. And if you're taking notes today, I think this will be a blessing to your heart. There are different stages of this that people find themselves in in these particular seasons. Number one, there's what's called the, the changing season of depression changing depression and that that's when we reach a place in our life that has an effect because of change for example when our skin begins to wrinkle it's not as youthful as it used to be sometimes in our physical anatomy when things start to change and break down it can cause a person to get depressed I started wearing hearing aids 20 years ago I'll be 60 what three 63 in September, right? You can tell I'm dealing with a little problem this morning. But 20 years ago, at 43, I started having problems with my hearing. Really, much earlier than that. In the early, early, early days before I was even in the ministry, I worked uh, in a company that was working every day in, in the swing shift, the, the 8 to 4, 4 to 12, 12 to 8, where there was loud engines and turbines and a lot of loud equipment running. And back in those days, they did not require you to wear hearing protection. But it was only after I believed that my hearing was seriously affected that they said, okay, now you got to start wearing hearing protection. I wish that I'd known earlier but then singing with the quartet all the years and, and all of the, the, the monitors, when you're, in, when you're in huge auditoriums and you're singing in, in front of major crowds and all of the sound equipment is coming at you. Uh, and uh, back in those days, we didn't have ear monitors. It was all live music coming from these speakers. So with the combination of my early days where I worked and singing with the quartet for years, over a period of time, I noticed that my hearing was gone. And listen, at 63, some of you wear hearing aids right now, but I started wearing them many years ago. And the thing is this, if I, can, if I took both of them out now, I couldn't hear a word. That's how bad it is. Now, I can read your lips. 
So if you sit in the back and you're talking, I can tell what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad for you. But, but let me tell you something. When that started happening to me, that, I, I was still a, a young man. I can remember doing sound checks uh, with the quartet and it got to the place where I just couldn't hear the music. I couldn't hear, I couldn't hear the instruments and I would tell the sound technicians, turn it up, turn it up. And sometimes we'd be singing with these monitors right here blaring in my face. I couldn't hear it. Just couldn't hear it. Nowadays we do use the ear monitors when we sing a few times and it's, it's a world of difference. But years ago at, at my age, it started to affect me. I don't know how many of you have been affected by things like this, but I'm telling you, when, when your skin begins to wrinkle and your hearing fades away, and your hair falls out, turns different colors, when you start having memory issues, let me tell you this. I've told you this before. I, I could be out on the road visiting people and go through the express pay on the toll road and had a perfect idea where I was going when I left the church, but by the time I went through the toll gate, I had to ask myself, now, where are you going? Now, I don't think I'm the only one like that. But sometimes there, the change in our, in our bodies, what we experience has a detrimental effect to us where we sulk or we, we can get depressed. And then there's what is called circumstantial depression. It's, it takes place when a loved one passes away or, or when you're betrayed by a friend or when you're laid off from work or someone else gets the promotion from, from the job that you anticipated you yourself was getting. Then there's what is called chemical depression, and that is when the chemistry in your body begins to change, and, and you may need medicine for that. I can remember this, and by the way, that's okay. You see your doctor about that. It's okay. I, I know preachers today that tell their people that it's a sin to take medicine for depression. I want you to know I'm not one of those guys. I can remember, I can remember our piano player, Sister Sue Baldwin, her husband, Jerry, got really sick, and most of you in here know Jerry and Sue. They're both in heaven today. Sue played the piano for us for a long time, and Jerry got really sick, and he was in and out different hospitals, and he had so many procedures, and it was just overwhelming for Sue. And Sue would do her very best to get Jerry the best care that he possibly could have. And it was in town, and then it was out of town. And you, those of you that know Jerry and Sue, you know the journey a little bit. They'd stand here, and they'd sing together. She'd play the piano. But then when Jerry passed, it wasn't much longer before she herself took seriously ill and she found herself in the hospital almost on a weekly basis and I can remember going to the hospital to visit her and I would sit down by her bedside and she said hold my hand preacher and I'd take her by the hand and she began to cry and she says I want you to pray something for me today I said well I'll be glad to do that and she said I want you to pray that God would just take me right now I said well Miss Sue I'm not praying that she said 
No, that's what I want you to pray. She said, I, I'm so tired. I miss Jerry and, and, and I don't want to go on. And, and, and I, I just want you to, I said, I'm not praying that soon. I'm not going to do it. And she said, preacher, can I tell you that I'm going through some depression? And I said, I understand it perfectly. I'd leave the hospital and I'd go in there the next day and she'd be chipper, she'd be jovial, she'd be singing a song. I'd go into another time to see her and she was right back where she was. She was down in depression. And she would ask me to pray that prayer again. Preacher, would you just pray that God would take me? I said, I'm not doing that soon, I'm not doing that. So I can remember one day, almost repetitiously behind those visits, she said this, she said, Preacher, I know that there are some preachers out there that say that People ought not take medication for depression. She said, but I'm depressed. She said, would you object with me taking medication? I said, would I object? So I said, I'm not your doctor. I said, there are great doctors out there that have medicine for you. And if they give it to you, take it. God gave somebody wisdom and, and, and brain activity to come up with this stuff in the first place. Aren't you glad God led somebody to invent penicillin? God leads people to medicine, medicine that can help us. And if people need it, take it. That's what it's there for, take it. And she said, well, would you think any different of me if I, I said, Sue, I love you just the same. Take it if you need it. And you take it as long as they give it to you, but take it. So what I'm saying is this. You might get into a place where, where your body needs medication. You, it might be hereditary. It might be chronic depression. And that, by the way, takes a long time to deal with. But let me say this. If you're dealing with depression of any sort today, of any kind, here's what I want you to understand. It does not mean that you are abnormal. Because if the truth were to be known, there's a lot of people in here who say, I've been there. I've done that. If you're dealing with depression, those of you that are watching today, it does not mean. And I've, I've heard some real unbalanced preaching in my life where preachers, some have defined all of this as some form of demonic oppression or depression. That's not true. So here's the thing that I want you to understand that if you suffer with it, it doesn't mean that you're abnormal. It doesn't mean that you're demon possessed. It doesn't mean that you're losing your mind. It doesn't mean that there is no hope for you or that you'll have to deal with this the rest of your life. But what you have to know is this, that depression is real. And God's word has something to say about it. Let me put it this way. Did you know that a broken spirit is just as bad as a broken bone? Now you think about that just for a moment, but it's true and you have to deal with it. Here's the thing. If you feel that deliverance is unattainable, then you will never do anything about it. And that will be what you experience day after day but what can you do? Is there something you can do? Absolutely. 
There are several things that you can do, and I want to share this with you from God's Word today. I want God's Word to help you, first of all, and I want you to write this particular scripture down. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 5. Here's what you have to do. You have to learn how to take control of your own thoughts. You have to do that. You have to bring your body under subjection. You have to get your mind to the Lord Jesus. You have to give it to him. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5, because you have to remember Satan's after your mind. All he's looking for is a little crack of light to get in your life, to get in your mind. When he gets in your mind, he will get in your heart. Paul said this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, look at that, every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here's what you have to do. You have to spend a lot of time in prayer. You have to take control of your thought life. The prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 26, verse number three, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And Paul said this in Philippians chapter four, he said, think on the things that are true and are honest and pure and lovely and of good report. If you wallow in misery and think only negative things, listen, the devil's going to find a way to entrap you, to hold you down, to enslave you in this thought of negativity and you're going to find yourself plunging deeper and deeper every day in depression. You've got to learn how to take control of your thoughts. Your thought life is important. Let me show you why. I want you to see the first part of Proverbs 23, verse number seven. And these fellas will get these scriptures on the screen as quick as they can. And I'm so far behind right now. I need to press as fast as I can. But I want you to look at this. In Proverbs 23, verse number seven, the Bible says, for as he thinketh, look at that. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So Satan comes against us. He comes against us with our mind. And if it gets in our mind, if we don't deal with it quickly, it will get in our heart. Now, I want you to see something here. The word of God is critical in dealing with depression. In Psalms 119, verse number 92, let's look there quickly. They'll get this scripture on the screen. There it is. Look at this. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. Notice that. Unless the law had been my delights. You've got to baptize yourself in the word of God. You've got to spend time reading it. Most people don't do that. Most people do not indulge themselves in the word of God. Let me ask you the question, be truthful today. How many times a day do you pick it up and actually read it? Turn to the pages of scripture, meditate, read something. Maybe you're going through, maybe you're reading the Bible through for the first time in your life. I don't know. Maybe you started at the first of the year. You find yourself somewhere in Chronicles right now. Maybe you find yourself somewhere in the Proverbs or Psalms. I don't know. But let me tell you something. This book is critical to spend time in. And the scripture says, unless thy law had been my delights, that means we've got to take this word seriously. We've got to love it. We've got to baptize ourselves in it. So whenever you have time, whenever you have time, read the word of God. And if you don't have a moment during the day that you can actually hold the Bible in your hand, then learn scriptures, quote scriptures. I can remember one time, and this was a true story. It happened right here in our church. 
There was, a, there was a man in our church who was going through, he's passed now, I can share some of these stories. These stories I share about the subject, the folks have gone on to heaven. But I can remember he, he, he played our organ many, many years ago, but he was a man that was going through depression so badly and he got himself in a situation to where he had to go to the hospital. And when he went to the hospital, he refused to take his medicine and to go through the treatments and, and everything. And it was the first time in my life that a medical doctor had called me at home and said, Pastor, we need to talk to you. We have this man in our, our facility, and he says he's a member of your church. And the problem is this, he will not. He will not take his medicine. He will not cooperate with the program. All he does all day long is reads his Bible. And I'm thinking, well, that's a good thing. But she said, I need to ask your permission about something. And, and this is blowing me away because that's never happened before. And he said, we have to take his Bible away from him. But we would only do it with your permission. We have to take his Bible away from him because we have to use it as a tool. If he cooperates, he's in bad shape. If he cooperates, then we're going to give him his Bible back. But it's the only method we have right now to help him. Would it be okay with you if we tried this? I said, only if you let me know how this is going. He said, okay. A few days later, they called me back and they said, we gave him his Bible back. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And they said, no, it's not wonderful. They said it didn't work. I said, what happened? They said, well, when we took his Bible away, he got some three by five index cards <laughs> and said, preacher, he had memorized so much of the Bible that he wrote, we couldn't count them. He wrote all these scriptures down by heart on these three by five cards. And so when we took his Bible away, he just sat in the chair and read the cards. <laughs> but my point is this, that man, in spite of it all, knew the word of God. My point is this, that's something that would benefit all of us. And I'm not talking about just knowing John 3.16 and Psalms 23. I'm talking about get in the word, baptize yourself in the word, study the word, know the word. And when you get depressed, when you get overwhelmed, let me encourage you to do something. Don't pull the shades, reach for the word and start quoting the word of God. Do you know how Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness? It is written, is what he said. Now I want you to think about this. Number two, quickly, you've got to learn how to take one step at a time. There are no magic tricks to this. There's no magic wands. Here's the thing. If you're going through depression, don't worry about the next six months. Don't dwell on that. Remember this. This is the day that the Lord has made. Remember this, that the word says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Don't focus on tomorrow. Focus on right now. Number three, and really most importantly, talk to your doctor. Be honest with them. Let them know what you're going through. Tell them that you're dealing with these thoughts and, and that you're dealing with these feelings. You'd be surprised how much they can help you talk to your physician. Make an appointment with your pastor. Talk to your pastor. 
And listen, there's power in prayer. One of the best ways that I can describe depression for you is is by explaining it like this. It's Depression is a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness that leads to sadness. I want you to think with me. A person who is depressed has a problem, real problems, whether they're real or imagined, that they cannot seem to get the handle on, and it will certainly affect them. A person like this sometimes will feel that there is absolutely no help or hope available to them. Now listen carefully. If you say, preacher, I'm here today and this sermon has absolutely nothing to do with me. I'm not depressed. I've never been depressed. I don't know anybody that's depressed. I've got it all together. Well, listen carefully. I want the scriptures to shine a light on something today that maybe perhaps you've not taken into consideration because I'm going to show you in the next few moments some strong characters in the Bible who had hit rock bottom in their life, who had walked through the valley of depression so much and so low that they wanted to die. Turn with me, if you will, quickly to Numbers chapter 11, and I want you to see this in verse number 15. And we find Moses speaking these words. In fact, this was a prayer. Sister Sue asked me at her bedside, Pastor, I want you to pray with me that God would take me to heaven today. I can't do this anymore. Moses found himself in a similar situation. And Numbers 11, verse number 15 is a prayer of Moses. And this is what he said. And if thou deal thus with me, he said, kill me. God, if this is what you have for me, if this is what you're going to allow to happen to me, if this is what your plan for me is, then he said, God, then I pray that you would just kill me. And he said, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. God, just take my life. This is a prayer of Moses. He was weary. He was tired. He was depressed. He was dealing with all of these millions of complaining Hebrews one day after another. And Moses was saying this, God, if this is the way that you're going to treat me, if this is the way that it's going to be, after everything that I have done for you, God, then I want you to just go ahead and kill me. I would rather die. You see, he was a man who had felt so low, so wretched, so miserable, so discouraged, and so depressed that he prayed for God to kill him. I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number four. And my time is moving. I I can tell and and I knew when this was being developed that it would go into maybe three or four parts. But I want you to see this in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number four. Here we find the prayer of another prophet. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. Here we find this prayer of depression from the prophet Elijah. He was saying, oh God in heaven, I cannot take it anymore. I've reached my breaking point. I've come to the end of the road. I've had enough, oh God. I cannot endure another day. And God, if you really love me, then take away my life. I am tired. Now, can you imagine the prophet Elijah praying this prayer? 
I mean, you think about it. Here was a man that knew how to pray. He had just won a tremendous battle on Mount Carmel. He had defied the prophets of Baal. Now, you think about this. You remember when he called the fire down from heaven? God consumed it, burned it to a crisp. And then Elijah began to call down the power of God. The power of God fell. You think about that. He had won a tremendous battle. This was a man who knew how to pray. And now Jezebel has put out a bounty on his head. And as a result of that, he's running into the wilderness. He's petrified. He's scared. And now he's asking God to take his life. I want us to see one other passage real quick, and we'll have to stop here and pick up again at the next appointed time. But I want you to turn your Bibles, if you will, please, to the book of Jonah. And I want you to see this in Jonah chapter 4, verse number 3. What's all this about, preacher? I'm telling you that great men of God knew what it was like to walk in the valley of depression. Moses, Elijah, and I want you to see this in the prophet Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, look at this. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Now you think about three great prophets of God. I'm talking about preachers, people who handle the word of God every day. And they got so discouraged, they were saying, God, I don't want to live. Stop this crazy world and let me off. God, I pray that you would just let me die. Now listen carefully, they were good men. They all loved God. They were preaching the word. They believed in the word of the Lord. They were all serving God. And all three of these prophets came to the lowest point of their life. So here's the point this morning. If it could happen to these great men of God, if it could happen to Moses, if it could happen to Elijah, if it could happen to the prophet Jonah, don't underestimate it. It can happen to you and me. And we have to realize that the devil is just looking for a crack, just a crack to get in. And if he, he knows where we're weak, he knows where we're vulnerable, he knows what we're going through. He knows how many times you've been to God over a particular issue. And maybe he's standing there and he's just watching you go back and forth to the throne. He knows, he hears that you're weary. Maybe in, in a depressed moment, maybe you didn't turn to God, you turned to your flesh or you turned to a moment of anger or frustration. You were overwhelmed. And the enemy heard that. Maybe he took a step back and he said, that's the key that I need. That's where I'm going to work. That's how I'm going to get in. And here's the thing, if we're not careful, we don't spend time in prayer and time in the word and we don't let God have our thoughts. Think on these things, Paul said, whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. If we don't do that and we give the attention to the depression, to what we're going through, you say, I'm not talking to my doctor. I'm not talking to my pastor. I'm not reading the word. 
This is the way I want it. Listen, if you choose that road, Satan will find the way in. And once it gets in your mind, he can get in your heart. One of the best ways for us to study this is to try and see what exactly was it that caused these three great men to end up praying a prayer like this. And the next time we get into the word of God, I want us to see exactly what it was that brought them to this lowest point in their life. If it happened to them, it can happen to us. But here's the thing that I want you to remember. In spite of it all, I don't want you to forget this verse. It's 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. Whenever you get overwhelmed, when the enemy comes against you, remember now he's a thief. He's after your joy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your happiness. When the enemy comes against you, I want you to remember this verse of scripture right here. Ye are of God. If you've been saved and washed in the blood, listen, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you're no longer a child of the night. You're no longer a child of the world. You're no longer a child of the devil. If you have given your heart to Christ, you've been redeemed. You've been saved. You've been washed in the blood. You've been changed. You've been made a new creature in Christ. Ye are of God. Ye are of God, little children. And have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is greater. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.